Um, just to kind of preface this before I read the text, which is uh, just the first seven or eighteen verses of John one, this is or John five. This is going to be somewhat like an introduction to sermons I'm going to preach in at the end of June. Pastor is going to take a, a, a two week break at the end of June, which has actually turned out to be a three week break because on the fifteenth, the missionary that was supposed to be here right now is coming. But um, anyway, he's going to take a two-week break and allow me to preach those Sundays. And so, um, so I'm going to be in John 5 again on those days and maybe into 6 a little bit as well. But this is kind of a, an, it's basically like the introduction for those sermons. So if you, if you come those Sundays, you're probably going to, um, you know, get a little bit more out of this as well, out of these chapters and kind of see how they all fit together as well. Um, you'll probably have to hear a little bit of at least some of the storyline of this a second time. I'm sorry about that, but I, I just couldn't, I, I didn't think it was wise for me to try to tackle all 47 verses tonight. Uh, no one would have forgiven me. Let's read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. It it might seem like I just skipped a verse, and I I did, but not because, I mean, it's actually not in the ESV, okay? We'll talk about that, don't worry. But I'm in verse 6 now. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going down, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. That, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All right, in, in the book of John, as I've, been, uh, as, we've, as I've preached on it, we've been looking at the, the importance of receiving Jesus Christ as God. I think this is important uh, in John chapter 1, as, Jesus, as John lays out that Jesus is God, he is the um, from eternity he is God, and, and then he says, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. And so we see the importance of receiving Jesus Christ as God. And so then we've been looking through this and we've seen the testimony of those who have received him. We talked about John the Baptist, we talked about the disciples, we talked about Nicodemus, and there's evidence in the rest of John, that Nicodemus was a receiver, even though it doesn't explicitly say it in John 3. John 4, we saw the 
the woman at the well, and even this, the, the man, when the, the last time we preached, we talked about this official from Capernaum who traveled to Cana to see him. We have all these people, and, and the thing that, that struck me as I read through the first four chapters of John is the repetition of the, this idea that people believed in Jesus because they saw him or saw what he had done or heard him teach. Um, when, when Philip and Nathaniel call, come uh, and Jesus reveals knowledge about Philip that only he could know, he believes. And Jesus says, do you only believe because, because of this? You're going to see way... The things you're going to see are way better than this. And then after the the wedding feast, when Jesus uh, turns the water into wine and then goes uh, down to Jerusalem and overturns the tables of the money changers, what we have there are uh, several instances in verse 11 of chapter 2. And his disciples believed in him. Uh, Again, uh, the, the disciples remembered in verse 17, that it was written about him, zeal for your house will consume me. So they, they understood that this was about, the, that he was fulfilling Old Testament scripture. Again, in verse 22, they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And then um, chapter 3, of course, we have the verses in verse 16 uh, where he says, For God's love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This emphasis on belief here, although we don't have Nicodemus, specific testimony. We see that in John chapter 4. We see the woman at the well believing and then all the Samaritans of the town believed in him because of the woman's, women's, woman's testimony. Sorry, and, but, and then they many more believed because they saw and heard him for themselves. That's in verses 39 through 42 of John chapter 4. And then of course the, the story that, um, that we talked about the last time uh, when I preached and the man believed. He believed and all his household, verse 53 of John chapter 4. You see this constant repetition of the idea of believing. The, the way that these people responded was to believe. And this was their testimony. This was why they believed. The, John the Baptist talked about why he believed. Because God spoke and this was the one. God told him, I'm going to give you a sign that this is the one. And, and he had the sign. John the Baptist gave his testimony to the disciples and they believed. Then they saw and they believed. Nicodemus heard Jesus' words and he believed. The woman at the well, she had her testimony. All of them had their own testimony about how, God had, how Jesus had spoken to them and they believed that Jesus Christ was God. They received him as God, as who he said he was. There's a turn here in John chapter 5. And I think, I don't know if you noticed it or not when I was reading it. But right at the end of this section, you'll notice it. Notice what happens after Jesus does the things that he does here and says the things that he says here. There's no focus on people believing. No, John is focused instead on how people were not believing, actually. In verse 16, it says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he, uh, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And then he said, he basically tells them, I'm... I'm God, I can do that. Kind of summarizing there. And then verse 16, or verse 18, he says, and it says this, and this is why the Jews were seeking even more to put him to death, to kill him. Because he was making himself equal with God. And so we see this, this turn that takes place in John chapter 5, and, and I call this, this next section Jesus' testimony. The testimony of Jesus. 
Because Jesus is going to con- there's this constant reference to Jesus, Jesus' teaching, to what Jesus is saying. He's going to talk about bearing witness to himself and the works that he does, bearing witness as well. We'll see that in, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, even through chapter 10 and further on, up until probably about, I think, probably about verse or chapter 13 is kind of the, the point in time where I, I see a, a switch to it being. John's testimony. This is John the Apostle's testimony, the the writer, the author. I think he's giving us some specific things that he knew and saw as we get some insider looks at the the Last Supper, at uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and and even the crucifixion. We get some, and and, and even after the crucifixion too, at at Galilee when, uh, when Peter is confronted by Christ and restored. So uh, John gives us some kind of insider testimony in the second, kind of the end, 13 through the end of the chapter, verse, chapter 21. So from 5 to chapter 12 or somewhere in there is, is what I see as the testimony of John, or Jesus I should say. And Jesus is talking about who he is and he's making it explicit who he is. There is if you're, in case you didn't get it yet, from John's, John t- chapters 1 through 4, you read John chapters... Chapters 5 through 12, you can't miss that Jesus is God. Okay, in other words, we're not just taking the testimony of other people. From John chapter one through, chapters 1 through 4, it's kind of like other people are saying, I believe that Jesus is God because he did these things, because he said these things. In John chapter 5, Jesus and on, Jesus is going to say it himself. Listen, I am God, and you have to listen to me because of it. That's essentially, that's, this, let me just, that's the summary statement for John 5 through 12. So there, I, I didn't just preach through John 5, I preached through John 5 through 12. There you go. You got a whole sermon from that. Um, but I think that's important because that's the whole point of what John's writing. He wants to prove that Jesus Christ is God and you need to receive him as God. And, and that's the point he's trying to make. But we have this problem because of our humanity. Well, it, it's instinctive in us to make ourselves out to be God. This is who I am at my most basic level, my instinctive, the instinctive Rory Martin is to make Rory Martin God. And, and, and it's the same for you. The, the instinct for you is to make you God. And, and because we respond that way, what we end up doing when we are confronted with the deity of Christ is that most of humanity turns away. We refuse to receive him as God. Because we want to be God. Because I, I like it when I'm God. When I'm God, I get to make the rules. When I'm God, I get to do what pleases me. And so because I like that so much when I'm confronted with the deity of Christ, I don't want to receive that. And, and lest you think that, okay, Pastor Roy is going to preach about the deity of Christ, and that means, you know, oh, good. Whew. You know, no confrontation for me here. I'm good because I'm a Christian and I've already received Jesus as God. Well, I, I understand you've received the premise that Jesus is God. But, but remember that James says that even the devils, the demons, believe and tremble. So, there's a certain extent to which even... Demons who have no hope believe that, 
that Jesus is God, but don't, it doesn't change anything about that. What, what is, how is it changing you? What's the evidence in your life that Jesus is that you've actually received Jesus as God? What is is there evidence that you actually have received that and, and that you're letting Jesus be God of your life? Or are you refusing to receive him as God and putting him off? And, and so what I think what we can get out of these verses is that we must receive Jesus as God rather than trying to ignore or destroy that reality, which I think, is what the, I think that's what the religious leaders try to do here. They, they either ignore it or try to destroy it. And I think that's what we try to do, too, in humanity. I mean, this is what atheism is, right? It's trying to destroy God or at, or at best, I suppose, ignore who he is. So we can just ignore God and then I don't have to answer to him. And the evidence of this, too, is, is even if, you ever, you know, if you're ever around kids for an extended period of time, you know that this is instinctive to humanity, that this is who we are. Because, I mean, it's not only that they try to ignore that, that God is real, or, but they, they do the same thing with, like, their parents' authority. Like, you know, if I can just drown out my mom and dad, then they're not talking to me, right? You know, it, if, if I don't hear them, then I'm not responsible to obey them. And, and, and what, what kid, what, if you're around kids long enough, what you'll find out is that humans have this tendency to create an alternate reality to let them get away with everything and to ignore God completely. And so they don't have to submit. And basically, children just reveal the atheism that is inherent in man and how much we hate the authority of God on our lives. And, uh, and so we, we need to receive Jesus as God rather than trying to ignore or destroy that reality. And so um, I think Jesus' Jesus's testimony here proves his deity three ways that should motivate us to receive him as God in contrast to the examples that are here. There are several examples, and it doesn't seem like anybody in these stories really receives him as God uh, based, on, based on what we see here. And it's just amazing, even the guy who is healed I just don't get his response at all. We'll talk about that a bit here. All right, so let's talk about um, this, where Jesus is at. He's in Jerusalem, and there is a, near the sheep gate, there is a pool. It actually has two pools there, and uh, it has these five columns that surround it, apparently. I think there's actually four columns around it, like one in the middle, if I understand the commentaries that I read correctly. And, um, and, there are these host of invalids that are gathered around these pools. And now let's talk about the verses that I didn't read that I couldn't because I don't actually have the text in my Bible. Um, there are, there's some debate about whether the second half of verse 3 and verse 4 are actually in the original text. Okay? Um, let me just confirm to you that it's okay. All right? Everything's going to be all right. No one took my Bible and is trying to destroy the deity of Christ by taking those verses out. No one's trying to undermine the authority of Scripture by taking those verses out, okay? Let me just explain how it works. Just, I'm going to try to make this as quick as possible, okay? But um, we, have, we don't have the original Scripture. We don't have John as John wrote it, 
We don't have John's penmanship of John. Okay? And so because of that, we depend upon copies of John. And there are a multitude of them. Many of them. And so there are people who are paid to look at these original, or as close to the original as we can get documents, copies of the original documents, to determine what is right and what is wrong. And, and, and we have, you know, I mean, like I said, multitudes of these, and they have to go through, and, and all of them will have, you know, there'll be slight differences in many of them. But um, what the goal is, is to try to get it as close to the original as possible. And there are different philosophies about this. Some people w- like the texts that are closer to the original. So if they, were, if they are, were copied at an earlier date, that means they were probably closer to the original, they say. Others um, believe that ma- the majority of the text, whatever the majority of the texts say is better because that would give us you know, what was preserved by the church. And there's debate about that. Whether you can, I'll let you decide for yourself. I'm just going to explain how this comes about. Basically, the reason why it's, um, why it's not in, why those verses aren't in like the ESV and you probably wouldn't find them in the NIV, um, maybe not the NASB. I didn't, I didn't actually check any other translations. Um, I know you'll find it in the King James and probably in the New King James, am I right? So, um, because the New King James and the King James are based off the same Greek text, but um, those, the Greek text that was used for the King James and the New King James was was um, originally um, compiled by a guy named Erasmus a long time ago, like before the Reformation, a long time ago. I mean, he's actually inadvertently started the Reformation by having that Greek text because that's what Luther, that's what Luther translated and it's what Tyndale translated. The, you know, he kind of spurred the Reformation with that Greek text. Um, but the problem is, is that we found a lot more texts since then, a lot more copies. We have a lot now we have, you know, in the five thousands of copies of the original uh, of copies of the original text, and so now we're able to look at a lot more and judge from a lot more. And basically, the people who know better or the, that have studied this have now determined that these verses were probably a scribal note that was included in the in a copy in order to explain what John was talking about. Because as they read it, they're like, "I'm not sure anybody's going to know what he's talking about." And you know what I come away from reading um, verses 1 through 9 feeling? I don't know what John's talking about. Now, I don't know what's going on with this pool of Bethesda. I, I, I mean, I, I read Calvin's commentary, and Calvin um, attributes the healing to God and that this was just a work that God had chosen to do in the first century. If you read more modern commentaries, you're probably going to find people who say, you know what, this is probably superstition. That these pools were fed by, by um, artesian springs, and when the, when the springs would um, send water into these pools, the water would move, there would probably be some, el- some different um, healing, or possibly healing, uh, I don't know what the word, like elements or molecule, I don't know, whatever, that were in there. And, and so perhaps some people were able to get into this water and feel better having gotten into the water. But they basically say that what John, John 5, 3, 3 and 4 says is the superstition that these people believed. And it was clear that many people believed. I mean, there was a multitude of people here hoping to get into this water. Now, again, 
there is no, I don't think John is, the point of John's story is not the pool. Okay? <laughs> Just remember that and you'll be okay. Because if it's not the pool, it doesn't matter. Okay? The point of John's story is Jesus. So if we can see Jesus in this, then we're good. But if we get distracted by the pool and the water moving and what the angel was, if there was one, whatever was going on there, if we get distracted by all that, then we miss the point, then we aren't any better off. Okay, so don't get distracted by the pool. Okay, I've, I've said everything I've just said for the last, you know, five to ten minutes to get you to not worry about the pool. Okay, so don't, please. Because I don't think it's that big of a deal. It doesn't matter whether it was real or not. It doesn't matter whether it was superstition or what. Because what really matters here is that Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, a guy that never had a chance to get into the water was healed. And, that, and that's what happens. And Jesus asked this interesting question to him. Do you want to be healed? You know, I mean, that's a funny question to ask a guy that's sitting at a pool waiting for the water to move so he could possibly get healed. But um, some, of the, some people think that maybe Jesus is kind of reprimanding this man for his, uh, for his just utter dependence upon other people and his unwillingness to do something, to try to do something. I mean, I know, I know he's lame, okay? I don't think Jesus was expecting him to get up and walk until he told him to. But the fact of the matter is, is that perhaps this man was just so, de- he's just like sitting around, just had gotten like, eh, not going to make it today. I'm just sitting here. Wish somebody would help me. Like maybe that was his attitude. He just kind of had this, you know, lackadaisical attitude about, eh, whatever. I'm probably never going to make it in anyway. He got in fatalistic. After 38 years, you maybe could understand why. And so he was kind of given up maybe. And maybe that's why Jesus asked him. Maybe he was asking him, hey, do you understand that if I heal you or if something changes here, you're going to have to be different? You, you, you know, like, it, you know, begging for alms... I mean, it wasn't probably, you know, weren't the richest person in town, but you didn't, I mean, you, you got money. I mean, you, and perhaps some people have pointed to that, that maybe, you know, he's wondering if this guy was willing to work or do something, become a contributing member of society. Who knows? But he does ask him this question, do you want to be healed? Sick man answers, and look at, you can see the dependence. Sir, I have nobody to help me. I'm just sitting here, just waiting to die here at the, here at the pool. No one's going to help put me in the water. Maybe he thought Jesus was here to do that. Like, you know, hey, yeah, I'll, why don't you help? You want to throw me in when the water moves? That'd be good. If, I don't know if that's what he was wondering or not, but he, he wanted somebody to help him. And Jesus said, hey, listen, you're, you're, get up and walk. Take up your bed and go home. Take up your bed and walk. And as instantly the man was healed. Jesus performs a miracle. Jesus proves, okay, you can't do this unless God does it, all right? So people don't get up and walk when they're lame for 38 years unless God does something, okay? So Jesus just proved that he's God. just want to make that clear. So then he gets up and leaves. And, and then it's the Sabbath, and he's walking along with his bed, and the Jews attack him. Now, this is interesting to me too, okay? Because, like, nobody is really all that concerned about why the lame guy's walking, they're wondering why the lame guy's carrying his bed. Like, are you kidding me? Like, hello, is anybody paying attention here? By the way, we should probably ask ourselves that same question. Okay? Um, 
I just gave a few testimonies before this service started. Is anybody paying attention here? I think God did something here. Okay, that was God. The only explanation for these things is God working. Let's not forget that. And, and please, don't just let it be this summer that you say, oh, God worked once here. This is what God wants us to get. If he can provide us with $17,000 for this mission trip in like five months, five months, $17,000, I think he can handle it. Okay, I, I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what the amount of money is. I don't care how big of a deal you think it is. I think God can handle it, and I think that's what he wants us to understand from this. This is what he wanted people to understand from this too. Are, is anybody paying attention here? Why are we worried about the things that we're worried about? Why are you talking to the lame man about carrying his bed when God just did something here? That's what he's trying to get across And he wants them to understand this, but they're blind to it. They don't want to believe, and they will not believe. And so, the the man, even the man who was healed, he didn't want to be changed. Now, I, I know it says that Jesus withdrew. I don't know what I would have done in that situation. I really can't say. I mean, it's really easy for me to pontificate on this and to act like I would be super spiritual and pursue Jesus, but I hope I would pursue Jesus. I hope I'd be like, whoa, whoa hey, huh, um, st- you, yeah, the, the, can, I, can we talk? Can, I mean, seriously, the, he just got healed by the guy, and he just like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go home. You know, like, is there any pursuit to know who he is? And he, he, when they ask him who told him to do this, he said, well, is the guy who healed me. He said to take up my bed and walk. And they're like, oh, man, we got a bad one on our case. He's healing people. He's telling them to take up their bed and go home. What is going on around here? The Sabbath is going, you know, out the window. Nobody cares about the Sabbath anymore. You can just hear him, you know, complaining about society and how horrible it is. And, oh, woe is us. What's ever going to happen? The man who'd been healed doesn't know who it is. He, because he wasn't able, to, he just walked away. And I think this is the first point. See, this, this is the first part of Jesus' testimony that proves that he's God. Okay, I, I, I kind of skipped over this, but I, I think I said it when it was there. He healed a lame man. Okay, that's the first part. Okay, that proves he's God. I, I, I had established that. And, but then notice how this changes every, you know, how, how the people respond to this. Even after this guy finds out it's Jesus, afterward Jesus finds him in the temple. He finds the guy he healed in the temple. And he says to him, see, you are well. Notice what he, asks, notice what he calls him to now. It, it isn't just, hey, enjoy your life. Enjoy your legs until you die. That isn't what he tells him to do. No, no. Sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. In other words, don't waste this. I have given you life. Don't waste the life that I've given you. And, and he seems to be implying that sometimes sin does bring physical punishment that causes, even though in other parts of John he's going to refute the fact that you can't always know that sin caused something to happen to somebody, but... Here he seems to be implying that that sin does sometimes cause bad things to happen to people. And he says, so that nothing worse happens to you, go and sin no more. In other words, you see what Jesus is saying? Listen, buddy, I healed you, 
That means I'm God. You need to obey now. You need to receive me as God and let me tell you what to do. I am now the boss because I made you walk. And, and by the way, that's the same thing he's done for all of us. None of you are getting up out of your chairs tonight except that God gave you the ability to walk. He made you. You know why? Because he's God. He made everything. And he proved it to us. He's given you the strength and power to do what you're doing. Everything that you're capable of doing is because of God. So recognize this. God has proven to you that he, Jesus is proving to you that he's God. God is proving to you that he's real. Submit to him. Stop making the rules for yourself. You don't have the right to make the rules. You just don't. So what else does Jesus do here to prove that that he's God. Well, notice then, I mean, he's, you know, all the uproar, of course, is not about a guy getting healed, but about the Sabbath being broken. And Jesus proves his deity by exercising his authority over the law as well here. And you'll notice that this is what happens after the man goes away from Jesus. He's, he, doesn't, he still doesn't seem to get it. You know, like, when Jesus heals you, follow him. Just follow him. You know, that's what he should have done. It's, but, you know, he's, he doesn't, it doesn't seem like any change takes place in this guy. I might be being too hard on the guy that's, that's lame, but I just don't get any evidence that he believed. Every other person that, that good things happened to in John, John said, and they believed. I don't see that here. I think that's a point John's trying to make. And so he goes away and he tells the Jews, oh, it was that guy. It's Jesus. He healed me. He's the guy who told me to take up my bed. So go get him. You know, he's like, the, he's like passing the buck. You know, like, hey, I'm innocent here. I was told to pick up my bed. I'm not violating the Sabbath. It's that guy over there. Go get him. You know, I mean, he, was, he had the same heart as the Pharisees and the, the, the other religious leaders. And, and this is why, and this is what it says in verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So the Jews were so uptight, they couldn't see through Jesus's they couldn't see Jesus' miracles through their own law, through their own interpretation of the law, really. I, I, I wanted to talk about this as Jesus rejecting man's rules, man-made rules. I'm just not sure that's exactly, you know, because not all man-made rules are bad either. And Jesus doesn't reject all man-made rules. But I think maybe, maybe we could look at it more as Jesus when he's exercising his authority over the law, he's rejecting self-made righteousness. Maybe that's the best way that we could think about this. Because that seems to be what he's rejecting. He's rejecting the fact that the Jews think that they are so good. They're like, we've got it with God. We are, we are right where God wants us to be. You want to know what God wants you to do on the Sabbath? Ask us. And it's not carry your bed. I don't care if Jesus told you to do it. That's the way that they were responding. They were self-righteous. And that is the worst place that you can be. If you sit in here tonight and you think, as, even as a Christian, I'm doing pretty good, you are in the worst place that you can possibly be. Because guaranteed, you're not. And that is where these Jews found themselves. We're doing it. We've got the law. We know what God has called us to do. And this is it. Wrong. They missed it. 
They missed Jesus healing a guy because of this. And so, so Jesus is exercising authority over the law, rejected self-righteousness. And then we see finally that Jesus, okay, if, if you can't get it from what he does, okay, and I think he made it pretty obvious. He healed a guy and he, you know, I mean, he rejects self-righteousness. But then he's like, okay, you guys aren't getting it. Let me explain why I'm rejecting self-righteousness. It's because I'm God. So he just has to say it. He's, okay, let, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not going to beat around the bush here. I'm just going to tell you exactly who I am. I get to make the rules because I'm God. That's what Jesus says in verse 17. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. In other words, don't tell me when to rest. I invented the Sabbath. It was my idea. So, I'll tell people to pick up their beds if I want to. And notice what, notice what happens then. The Jews are seeking to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, he was, see, they got it. They figured out what he was saying. It, it, this was no mystery for them. It wasn't like, hmm, I wonder what he's trying to say by that. No, 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 that wasn't where they were. They knew exactly what Jesus said when he said that. He just said, he's God. And they didn't like it. You know why? Because that means they'd have to change. We don't like to receive Jesus as God because it means we have to change. And I'm calling you to change. Because the Word of God calls you to change. Stop serving yourself. Stop making excuses for yourself. Stop deciding that you get to make the rules. Stop thinking that you're okay. And start recognizing that Jesus is God and submit to him. And if you don't know what he wants you to do, then read the word of God and pray a lot and beg him to show you and I guarantee you, you'll figure something out. Because that's how God works. And I, I, I mean, this is, I, I preached or I taught in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 today, be holy for I am holy. That's what God demands from you. So be holy. But you can only be holy if Jesus is God of your life. If he gets to make the rules. When you're making the rules, you are not holy. Only when Jesus makes the rules. And that is the pursuit of holiness. Is letting Jesus be God of our hearts and lives. And, and I think this piggybacks well off Pastor's sermon this morning as well on discipleship. Because that's what being a disciple is. Being a disciple is letting Jesus teach you. Jesus has the right to teach you. Because Jesus is God. And you have to receive him that way. That's the only way he's received. Let, let me um, close with uh, a summary of um, C.S. Lewis's comments about what you can receive Jesus Christ as. He, he doesn't have any time for people who receive Jesus as a, as a good moral teacher. Because he says it doesn't work. You can't read the Gospels you can't read the stories of Jesus and come away thinking that Jesus is a good moral teacher because Jesus claimed to be God. So he's either crazy and like some kind of lunatic who thinks that he's actually God but isn't really God and has no say over your life whatsoever. That's one option. You could take him to be a crazy man. But he didn't really act like a crazy man. He seemed to be in complete control of his faculties. In fact, he did a lot of things that crazy men can't do. 
So that doesn't really work. You could take him as a liar. Perhaps Jesus is just a liar. He was just lying. He, when he said he was God, he was just making it up. He was, it was a big hoax. The greatest hoax of all time. Well, then he's also an idiot. Because he died for that hoax. He was willing to let them punish him in the most gruesome way possible. He died them one of the most horrifying deaths that you can imagine. I'm sorry. Then we have to go back to him being a lunatic. Because only an idiot would die like that for a lie. So there's only one more option. He has to be Lord. He's God. Jesus Christ is God. You can't accept him as just a good moral teacher. You have to accept him as